0: You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at South Christ Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Y'all oh, go ahead and grab a seat. We're gonna get to dive into God's word. Hey, if you have your Bible, I hope you do, or even if you got it on your phone, that's cool. Um, but turn to Hebrews. If you need to use table of contents, that is no shame. Hebrews is a great book. To know and read. It's one of my favorites in the Bible, but I also get that it can kind of hide back there. And so if you hit James or 1 Peter, you've gone a little bit too far. We're going to be in Hebrews uh, and primarily in chapter 11 here just a minute, a little bit of chapter 10 and 12 as well. But um, Hebrews, if you'll find chapter 11, you'll be close enough. Book of Hebrews. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you about a couple of my friends. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to India twice in 2017 and um, 2019. And The pastors there live in different regions that we work with. Uh, They come together for a two week event where we help talk with them about preaching, how to be better biblical communicators. And I learned a lot from them in that moment as well. But they come from all kinds of different regions in India. And one of my friends, he is from Southern southern India. And he told me about uh, what happens at their church every Sunday. And I'm gonna assume that what I'm about to share with you did did not happen to any of you this morning. He said that uh, when the church members are on their way to church and they're driving their vehicles, they turn down a particular road that leads them to the church and that men from the community, many of the men I'm describing now are either Muslim or Hindu, they stand at the side of the road with baseball bats and clubs. And as the believers drive their cars towards the church, they basically crowd around them at some point and they will beat their vehicles and then let them pass. They don't hurt them physically, but they beat their cars, they go to church, and then on the way out of church, uh, their cars, their vehicles get beat again. Probably you didn't have that experience this morning, did you? He said it like it was just kind of commonplace, no big deal, and I remember looking at him like, every Sunday morning, that's what they go through. Another friend, Paul, he lives on the border of India and Pakistan, and where he lives, there's a lot of extreme... uh, islamic beliefs held there and paul actually used to be a muslim was saved by the grace of jesus christ and it's so cool to hear him compare the different religions and islam compared to christianity and how he he believes islam is really at its core demonic um and I, i agree with him uh but he was talking about me coming to visit, to visit Kashmir. And he said, you need to bring your wife. And if you look it up, it's, it's a beautiful place. Like it's in the mountains, right where India borders, Pakistan. and It's it's beautiful. So you need to come. And uh, when you come, when we drive around, we'll just put a helmet on you. So when they throw rocks at you, it won't hurt. And I remember like, I was like, Paul, get out of here. He was like, no, I'm serious. Like we'll be in a van, but in case the rock breaks the window, you'll have the helmet. So it won't hurt you. And he's just smiling the whole time. And I was like, I don't think we're coming to visit you, man. <laughs> like, that's his day in, day out reality. Actually, the, the fir- in 2017, the first um, cohort that we did with him, he barely got to make it to the cohort in Delhi because he had been imprisoned uh, because some Muslims had thrown some false accusations at him. And so they kept him in prison for, I think it was like six months and then eventually let him out uh, because th- th- there was no grounds for what he was in prison for. I share those stories because as you hear those, you probably feel what I felt as they shared them. I couldn't help but think, man, I have kind of, comparatively, not that comparison is very helpful always, but comparatively, I have a wimpy faith. Like day in, day out, they're, they're, or Sunday after Sunday, they go to church and their vehicles are beaten. We, we're, we're blessed enough. We have police that like patrol our parking lots so that no one messes with our stuff, right? Or my friend, Paul, who literally, actually one time on the way to one of the cohort, one of his friends was killed by a group of Muslims because um, he couldn't convince them that he, wasn't, uh, that he wasn't a Muslim. They have a strong faith, many of the believers there, where I think many of us have kind of a wimpy faith. When I say wimpy faith, wimpy Christianity, what do I mean by that? I think it displays itself in, in a lot of different ways. So maybe it's this wimpy faith in that you compare what you have to other, what other people have, the material possessions you have, and you're like, well, God, I'm following you, I'm pursuing you, and I don't have near as much as whoever who's not following you, who's not pursuing you. God, are you, God do you even see me? Do you even care about me? And so rather than leaning in, often in that moment, we can tend to just, I don't know about God, I don't know, I'm just kind of, you, you, go, you go sit at uh, J&B or Gold Stripe or pick a coffee shop, Starbucks, and you're like, I don't know, man. You're telling your friend, I just I just don't know if God's real right now. Like, I just, he seems distant. Maybe you, you applied for that promotion at work and someone who's not a believer doesn't give a rip about the Lord. They got the position and you didn't. And so you go home and you tell your spouse, like, I, I don't know, like, why am I living, why am I walking in faith if, if God's not gonna respond? Some of you, you've been, you've been praying for that special someone, right, and you're hoping to meet them, and you're praying, maybe you're, I think, I think often, if I can talk to the college students for a second, I think often you've, you freak out way too early about finding the person, just to say, when people are like, I don't know, man, I'm just getting old, I'm like 23, and I haven't found anybody, I'm like, 23, you're a baby, bro, <laughs> Or girl, I don't know. I'm praying, and I just don't know. Like my faith is—you say, you say my faith is just struggling because I haven't found somebody yet. I, I just don't know. I've been I've been praying in general. I still think God is hearing me. Man, it's just so hard to read my Bible. I want to get up. I know I should, but when I read it, it's just hard to understand it. Lauren and I had the opportunity to go to the Dominican Republic with her work this summer in a mission trip. And I say this, cause it was kind of mission, kind of what they call vision. where We were learning about the ministry there. And two of the days we were there, we, we poured concrete, not the American way. So what I mean is we showed up to pour concrete floors for these houses and I'm like, man, where's the big truck gonna roll in? And I'm gonna be like, yeah, you pour it here. And we show up and they've got shovels, one wheelbarrow, a big old pile of sand, several bags of cement, and a big old bucket of water. And they're like, all right, we're gonna mix some concrete. I'm like, you have got the wrong guy here. <laughs> like, what is going on? So there's uh, several from our team there, um, from Beat and where the one works. And I think a lot of us are like, yeah, man, you know, we, we're in shape, we work out, it'll be fine. And within 30 minutes of shoveling concrete, I thought like we were all like, oh, my cows is hurt. <laughs> we're like, where's the water? Uh, it, 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 was, it got bad quick, mainly our complaining and griping. And part of the reason was that we're, we just, as with what I do, I work hard, but I don't do much manual labor. You're like, yeah, we know. Howard, our uh, facilities manager in the last service said, amen, brother, when I said that, so slap him later. Um, but I'm not, I don't do that much. And so when it comes to outdoor labor, I, I, I'm just not in great shape, so to speak. I, I, I wimp out pretty easy. I think unfortunately, that's an accurate portrayal of our faith that a lot of us, we're not, we're not tried very much. And so as soon as things get hard, we're like, how am I is like, we act like babies, wimpy. I, I, whether you agree or not, I think it's true. But can, would you acknowledge that we have kind of a wimpy faith in America? Can you help me out a little bit. Do you? Okay, okay, okay. I know you stayed up late watching that epic tech game. We just crushed Stephen F. Austin by the skin of our teeth. <laughs> how do we overcome a wimpy faith? A faith that is, that is always fluctuating. Going, I don't know if I trust God. I don't know if I can believe him. I don't know. I'm really struggling. How do we, how do we learn to have a strong faith that clings to Jesus through it all? How do we do that? I love the book of Hebrews for so many reasons, but one of the reasons is the author is really compelling us to do that. As he wrote to the original recipients, it becomes clear that these were probably some believers who come, were coming from a uh, Jewish background And we're experiencing persecution. And because of their persecution, they're being, and even being persecuted by Jews, they're being tempted to to quit following Jesus, to to let go of their faith in Christ and just kind of of walk away from the faith. And he's encouraging them and challenging them through it all. He explains, Jesus is better. As a quick side note, if you said, give me three words to describe the book of Hebrews, I would say it's Jesus is better. That's, That's what the author is showing us. But the whole reason he's showing them over and showing us over and over that Jesus is better is to challenge us, to compel us, to cling to Jesus. Don't give up. Don't lose faith. Don't be overcome with a wimpy faith, but rather cling to Jesus. Y'all still with me? Anybody need to hear that this morning? I know I do often, often. Just Wednesday, I was kind of in this weird headspace like, man, God, what's going on? And then I remembered what I was going to be preaching to you guys. And as I walked through this, like, yeah, I need to overcome a wimpy faith and cling to Jesus. How do we do it? How do we do it? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a, a large portion of scripture this morning, really all of chapter 11 and a little bit of chapter 12. And I'll give a little bit of commentary as we go. But after we walk through it, I want to show you, I think, what is right from the text, five things the author gives us to overcome a wimpy faith, to overcome a wimpy Christianity. Now, before we start reading, I want to give you a little bit of context. I've already given you some, just the book in general. But look at chapter 10, verse 36. So, to kind of lead up to this, he's challenged them to, man, because of what Christ has done, we can enter into the throne room boldly and we need to encourage each other. And he says, we need to quit sinning deliberately. And actually, look at verse 35. He says of chapter 10, so don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And that word confidence, he's talking about your faith, your assurance in who Jesus is. Don't throw away your confidence. Verse 36, four, you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. So he says, as you're living this Christian life, you're going to need endurance. You're gonna need something that overcomes a wimpy faith that just fluctuates all the time and cling to Jesus. You're gonna need endurance. He even says in verse 39, we're not those who draw back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and are saved. Now in chapter 11, speaking of faith, he says this. Now faith is the reality, or the ESV says, assurance of what is hoped for, the proof or the conviction of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved, meaning by faith, all these people he's about to list are are, those who have gone before us and we're looking forward to the Messiah. We look back to the Messiah. They were approved. They were commended in their faith. And then verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, that's a lovely description, (laughs) came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. Now, in, in verse 13 through, verses 13 through 16, he's gonna kind of unpack a little bit of what's going on here with faith, but I want you to make sure you get this. Do you see the element of action associated with faith here? Do you see that? So be, because Noah believed he had faith that God wasn't lying, he built an ark. So Noah didn't sit back and go, God, I believe you for sure, I trust you. Why, i building no ark. No, he believed, so he built an ark. Abraham believed God, even though he didn't know where he was going. It says, he left. He set out. God, I ain't got a clue where you're taking me, but I'll go because I trust you. So faith is evidenced not just by, yeah, I believe God. He's awesome. No, faith is evidenced by your life, right? James would say, faith without works is what? Is dead. Yeah. So you can say you believe God all day long, but if you believe him, It'll be evidenced by your life. You, you act upon, I do trust God, I do have faith. Verse 13, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith, he he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel and the prophets. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women regained their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings, scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, not like marijuana, but like people hit them with rocks. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world is not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith. They were commended. God was pleased with it. But they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. A couple things real quick before we jump into the first two verses of 12, and then we'll be done reading. First of all, as a quick side note, this is, what we just read is a great reason why you should read all of your Bible. Like, I, say, I hear, say this as an invitation. If we are reading that and you're like, bro, I ain't got a clue what all this is about. Like, is he, what is going on? It, then maybe you need to read some more of the Old Testament. I would encourage you. And to realize that the Old Testament and New Testament are linked together. And so much of the Old Testament, excuse me, the New Testament is built upon the Old Testament foundation. So, if you want to read your Bible and know it better? You got to read the Old Testament too. All right, back to this. So, he says, they were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. So as we read through there, you saw some of them, they did receive some sort of promise. Like they got to see it or behold it. Like for example, Sarah having a child. There was some promise, but they didn't get to receive the, they didn't get to receive the ultimate promise. To help us get all the context, all of God's promises are fulfilled. They are yes and amen in who? His name is Jesus, So because Jesus had not come yet, they did not receive the ultimate promises of God yet. They received some of them, but it wasn't in its fullness. Since God had provided something better for us, the better he's referring to, if you read through the book of Hebrews, which I encourage you to do if you have not, he lays out how Jesus is, I said earlier, Jesus is better and his covenant is Better. So rather than the Old Testament covenant of you come and you bring these sacrifices, the offerings to to try to cleanse yourself and be in right relationship with God, Jesus left heaven's throne, God Himself came and lived a perfect life and then made Himself the ultimate sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And through his sacrifice, we come into a relationship with God where Jesus clings to us. And our relationship with God is based not on what you and I do or don't do, but rather it is based on the perfect shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's based on him. So our covenant, our relationship with God is secured in Jesus. So he says, what was better was Jesus coming. And then he says, unpacks a little bit more, Then to verse 40, so that they, speaking of all these people, the Old Testament people who looked forward to the coming of the Messiah while we look back to the Messiah, they would not be made perfect without us. So he's saying, ultimately, all the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. And when he comes again and our bodies are resurrected and we experience heaven, in that moment, we will be made perfect, all believers, and secured and perfect in Christ. And the author is saying, that's gonna be better. They haven't received their promises fully yet, but they will one day when Jesus Christ returns along with all of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus. Now, verse, or chapter 12, verses one through two, last bit we'll read. Therefore, so in light of all we just read, and really you could say all of Hebrews, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Man, what an incredible epic passage. I mentioned earlier, we're gonna read through it and I'll give you five things that help us overcome a wimpy faith because that's really the context of what this is written. I wanna give you those five things because I realize reading that is like drinking from a fire hydrant. Even I feel like I'm out of breath after reading. I should go run more or something, okay? So five things to overcome a wimpy faith. Before I give you the first one, look back to verse 39 of chapter 10. I'm just gonna reference it and I'll give you the first one. Verse 39 of chapter 10, before he even goes into all this faith talk or this big list, he says, but we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. So first point we see in the text of overcoming wimpy faith is remember who you are. Remember who you are. Now, don't be confused here. What the author is not saying is, remember who you are. You are so awesome and you are so strong and you're so amazing. That's why Jesus came to save you because you got it together and he loves you. Like, eh, that's not the gospel. He's saying, remember who you are in light of all of what he's laid out in in the book of Hebrews, that yes, you were a sinner who was broken, but Jesus came to save you and shed, shed his blood for you. And now as a child of God, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, You have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. You have gone from death to life. And as Hebrews chapter 7 says, Jesus intercedes for you. So because of that, we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. Remember who you are. You know what, often when I'm struggling, and I know you too, when you're struggling with wimpy faith and this like, Man, it's just hard. I keep giving into this sin, or I keep like doubting God, or I keep wandering, drifting from God. I keep struggling. You know what? We often, between our own flesh and and Satan, I think we kind of get in our head this like, man, I just like, there's just no hope for me. Like, I'm just never really going to pursue Jesus. I'm never going to grow out of this sin. I'm never going to mature past this. I'm never going to cling to Jesus. I think the reason the author of Hebrews wrote verse 39 inspired by the Holy Spirit. And again, in context, if you've got to endure, is he saying, remember who you are. Don't buy the lie that you're always going to just, I'm just worthless, I'm hopeless, I'm never going to grow in this. No, you are a child of God and because Jesus has saved you and the Holy Spirit and dwells in you. There is always hope. You don't have to falter and fall away from Christ. You can cling to him because he has clung to you. Are you with me? Remember who you are. Don't buy the lie. You are a child of God. Of God, You are not destined to be held by sin's grasp forever. We just sang about it in the hymn a minute ago. Jesus holds my destiny. Man, I'm just never going to have faith. I'm never going to overcome and have a, have a strong faith. Jesus holds my destiny, and because of that, there's hope for me having a strong faith. Amen? I don't have to buy the crap that Satan's throwing at me or that my own insecurity throws at me. Jesus is my hope. Remember who you are in Christ. Before I give you the second one, I wanna help you see this connection. I think it's super cool. So verse 39, and he talked about endurance. You gotta have endurance. Verse 39, remember who you are. We're not those who shrink back or draw back. We are those who have faith and are saved. And then chapter 11, he lists all these people who demonstrate what it looks like to have faith and not draw back, but instead to trust God. Number two, how to overcome a wimpy faith, I think what he's saying, and really it's chapter 12, verse one, it's remember the testimony of scripture. It's our second one. Remember the testimony of scripture. Let me unpack this a little bit. When I say of scripture, it's because in chapter 11, he's laying out the stories of scripture, the Bible. He's like, man, these stories are so cool. They encourage me. They're just from the Bible. Like they're, they're from the Old Testament. Again, you should read the Old Testament. It's awesome. But he's saying, since we have such a large, a large cloud of witnesses, the testimony of scripture, we should press on in our faith. You know, often I was confused <clears throat> by this idea of the large cloud of witnesses. I often thought of it as like, I'm running this race of faith and Moses and Noah and Abraham and David are in heaven. They're like, Brandon, you got this. You're awesome, bro. And like, that's kind of how I envisioned it. That's not what's going on. What does a witness do? When a witness goes to the stand, they what? They testify. Yeah. What he's saying is, chapter 11, all those people are testifiers that God is faithful and he's worth Clinging to. He's worth not giving up on. He's worth continuing in your faith. So it's not that they're like, Brandon, you're awesome. No, it's they're going, hey, Brandon, I will testify, or whoever picked, sorry, I keep using myself because I need this message very much. But they're saying, hey, Tyler, hey, Julia, hey, Jeremy, keep going, keep pressing on after Jesus because he's worth it. He's faithful, he's better. Don't quit. That's what he's saying. Because we have this cloud of witnesses, these testifiers. Man, we can look to them and say, man, yeah, I'm going to keep running the race. And isn't this cool? Get on my little soapbox here for a minute. I get why we call this the Hall of Fame. The uh, the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Faith. I do get that. But I think it kind of undermines what the author is wanting to accomplish when we call it the Hall of Faith. When we call it the Hall of Faith, it kind of gives us this idea that, like, it's a museum. And, like, oh, man, chapter 11 of Hebrews. Just go there and stand and look at it. Wow. Rahab. Prostitute the Hall of Faith, man. Wow, you're awesome. Wow, Moses, look at your faith, and we treat it like this museum. And the whole point that God gave us this is not so we can go, oh wow, but so He can go, we can go, whoa, I need to live like that too. Not just to go, wow, what a museum, but to say that's what faith is. If I'm in Christ, that's who I am. I'm like these people. I'm going to listen to their testimony. I'm going to continue to trust God. I'm going to continue to walk with God to cling to Him even when it is. Difficult, And also, one more thing I got to say about this before we go to the third one. The Bible, I don't think often uh, does it drive by guilting, like do, 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 feel, feel guilty about something. But I think this is one of those cases where the Holy Spirit through the writer is kind of saying like, hey, you guys need to suck it up. I don't like it when I'm going through a hard time and somebody's like, yeah, but it could be worse. Like, actually, that's just, that's bad people skills, right? When someone's going through a hard time, don't tell them, could be worse, bro. Like, that, that's not that's not helpful. But that's kind of what the Bible does here. Like, well, are you sure? I'm positive. I think that's why in verse uh, verses, really all of it, but especially 35 through 38, he says, Their people were tortured. They they refused to accept release because they wanted to gain a better resurrection. Others were mocked and scourged. They were imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sawed in two and died by the sword. They walked around in sheepskins and goatskins. And then jump down to chapter 12, verse four. He says, in struggling against your sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So basically he says, ah, you're not bleeding yet. Suck it up. Dang. How many of us need to be told that this morning? Like, oh man, it's just hard to follow Jesus and I'm having such a hard time. And the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, I, I I know, I said it wouldn't be easy. Like, you're not bleeding yet. You haven't gone to prison for your faith. You haven't been stabbed with a sword. You haven't had your head chopped off by ISIS. So I think you're doing okay, keep going. Like this is a text that the Christians in Afghanistan could come and preach to us and I would shut up and sit my butt down and let them preach. Because we don't know about this kind of persecution. So remember the testimony of scripture? Meaning, remember, we got it pretty easy. Man, cling to Jesus. It could be way worse. If these people, listed through here, really all scripture, if they went through that sort of persecution and still clung to Jesus and said, man, he's better. He's worth it. Yes, we're gonna get our heads cut off, but he's totally worth it. I think I can suffer, maybe be made fun of, or not getting what I want for the cause of Christ, (laughs) right? Remember the testimony of scripture. More importantly, remember, number three, number three, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. As amazing as all these people are in the hall of faith, he tells us to actually keep our eyes on Jesus. He says, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily entangles ensnares us. We'll come back to that. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Number verse two, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's saying, man, those people were great, but Jesus sits at the right hand of God. He hears your prayers. He's the one who can empathize with you and, and can actually help you as the king of the universe. Keep your eyes on him. And I love this, as he says, he's the pioneer and the Perfector. Some say the author and the perfecter of our faith. Excuse me, <clears throat> sorry, y'all. The idea is that he is the object of our faith. So because he died for our sins, we place our faith in him. That's how we are saved. I think chapter 5 says he's the source of eternal salvation. So we place our faith in him as the object, object of our faith, and he is the model of our faith. That's why we keep our eyes on Jesus, because as we look to him, we go, man, is it worth following him? Is it worth clinging to him? Yes, because he suffered and died for me. He went to the cross for me. So he's The object, he motivates me in that, and he's the model, meaning Jesus knows what it is to suffer and to still trust God. Yeah, but Jesus doesn't know what it's like to feel forgotten by God. Wrong, Jesus hung on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, when he experienced the full brunt and the full blow of the weight of our sin and our shame and our guilt and condemnation, when he experienced that, he experienced the separation from the Father. For the purpose that you and I can know relationship with the Father. So don't talk to Jesus and like, oh, you don't know what pain is. No, Jesus knows what suffering is. You got scars? Jesus has scars. It's hard to follow God. It's painful. Jesus in following God knows the pain of following God. But yet he would say it is totally worth it. That's why it says he despised the shame. So he wasn't like, oh man, great, I'm gonna hang naked on a cross and be known to a cross, oh, yay for me. That's ridiculous, that's stupid. No, he despised the shame. That's why he, he was in the garden um, sweating drops of blood. It's gonna be terrible. He despised it. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? To, to sit at the right hand of The throne of God. So now Jesus, at his name, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He's the king of the universe. I think as spelled out in Hebrews, part of that joy set before him, a big piece of that was the joy of accomplishing accomplishing salvation, bringing restoration and reconciliation to humanity. So for the joy that was set before him. So right in front of him was the cross, pain, misery, agony. Feeling separated from God, but for the joy that was ahead of him, he endured the cross. This leads us to our fourth point that is, remember the joy to come. So, as we look to Jesus as our example of faith and pressing on, overcoming the difficulty, it also teaches us as we look to him to look to the joy, remember the joy to come. That's what faith is, y'all. That's why you don't have to turn back to it, but that's why in Chapter 11, verse 26, it says of Moses that he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. It's that same idea of, of, hey, man, Egypt has a lot to offer, but what God has to offer is better. It may not be right in front of me yet. I can't maybe taste and experience it yet, but I know that what Jesus has is better. Remember the joy to come. I, I think for most of us, because we're selfish people, this may be one of the greatest, most important aspects of overcoming wimpy faith is remembering the joy to come. I don't know about y'all, but I want the best. Like my, my wife makes fun of me often because like, we'll go in a store and I'm like, well, if it's more expensive, it must be better, right? And she's like, well, you're stupid, right? Like, uh, just because it's more expensive doesn't mean it's better. It's better, but I like the best. So like, if you if we're having a party at the house and you bring some blue blue bunny ice cream instead of blue bell, I'm gonna be disappointed. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll give you three extra dollars. Get the blue bell, bro. Like, we need to flip our understanding of God's goodness in our minds. We have this idea often that like, well, I'm gonna follow God. I'm just gonna settle for second best. When we think like that, we've bought the life from the enemy. What God has is always better. I remember... I don't know why I keep bringing like dating references, sorry, but I remember dating a girl in high school and I was so mad. We broke up. My dad was like, Brandon just means God has somebody better. And I was like, you don't even know dad. <laughs> like I was so mad. And I remember when I met Lauren, I was like, my dad was right. Like God had somebody better. I could have never imagined it, but God knows what he's doing. It's funny. He's the king of the universe and he actually knows what he's doing. Know that what he has is better. So when you're, struggling, man, I want to give into that sin. I don't really want to follow Jesus. I want to do what's easier right now. Remember that what he has, even if it's not received until heaven's gates, what he has is better. There's more joy. There's more satisfaction to be had in him. So keep running the rest, race. Keep enduring. I think when we begin to know that he's better, as the Psalms say, that at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. Who sits at the right hand of God? Jesus with Jesus, our pleasures forevermore. It's thought about that right now. That's kind of cool. But I think a great way, like in that battle of remembering that he's where the joy is, and that, that's not, sorry, Terry Lee Cobble, Bible recap, slipped out there. What I mean is remembering the joy to come is let us, verse one, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. I think, so as we wanna run, this is a picture of running the race and stripping off whatever may hinder or slow us down. Why would you run with a 20 pound vest on if you're just running and not trying to run the Murph or whatever? You strip that off so you can run faster. I think the greatest way to strip off those things that ensnare us and slow us down is to remember that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. You're running the race slow. You're not pursuing Christ much. You're feeling wimpy in your faith. Remember, he is better. And when you do that, you begin to strip off that which slows, slows you down. I got to finish. So if you give me about two minutes, we'll finish. Here's the fifth thing really epic drum roll. Number five, run. Run. How do you overcome a wimpy faith? You keep going, you keep having faith, you run. That's why he says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. We may not know what lies before us, but we're gonna run with endurance, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Endurance, that word there, literally in the Greek, it's, it's active. So, it's not pa- so endurance is not passive. We often think of endurance as passive, like, oh, I'm gonna endure this, or like, how long is this fool gonna preach today? Let me endure this, right, let me sit back, or like, I felt like Texas Tech was kind of enduring the game yesterday, like, are you going to endure, or are you going to actively try to win the game? Right? Anybody else feel that way? Endurance here is active. I'm going to press on. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to get after it. Let us run with endurance. How do you overcome wimpy faith? You keep going, putting one foot in front of the other. I think so many of us, the problem with our faith is we just quit running. We quit remembering and then we just quit running. We're like, oh, this is hard. I'm just gonna stop for a little bit. And then a year goes by or six months goes by or six years go by and we're like, oh man, I haven't really grown in my faith because you quit running. Think about like a marathon runner. If they quit running every time they feel pain, every time they get discouraged, they're never gonna finish the race. This is in no way a humble brag because it was terrible. Lauren and I, she's done a couple marathons. I've done one and it was terrible. How do you know it's not a humble brag? There's a time cap of seven hours my, my actual, my, my own parents were afraid I wasn't gonna make the time cap. Like, I, I, they were calling me at like five hours, 50 minutes, like, hey, Lauren's been here for about an hour, you, you still coming? <laughs> so not a humble brag. But I remember in that marathon, like this is, gosh, seven, 10 years ago, we were in San Antonio and before the race, there's all, there's, I told you two minutes, give me two more minutes then we'll finish, I promise <laughs> There's all these people gathered around at the starting line. It's like, yeah, this is gonna be awesome. People are like, it's your first marathon, high five. So we all start running and it's just this like majestic, amazing, right? right? It's gonna be so great. Chariots of fire. And after about 45 minutes, the crowd is gone and you're starting to think, am I really gonna run 26.2 miles? And then this weird thing starts to happen. At least for me, maybe I'm just a terrible person, probably so. As you're running, as I was running, I began to like look and be like, that person is seven times my size and I can't catch up with them. Like, how is that possible? Or that person is seven times my age. Literally, there were some people that I thought they're seven times my age and I can't, they're going to beat me. You start comparing yourself to other people when you're running, you're going to quit real fast. If you, if you are only going to run when people are cheering you on, you're going to quit real fast. I remember one of the worst parts of that marathon is like, so the majority of the race, it was in San Antonio downtown. It was, it was beautiful. But part of the race, I think it was around mile 16 or 17, which for me was like the worst. At that point, where it was like, ooh, like zombie walking through the marathon. And they had us run through a cemetery. Why would you do that? <laughs> I was like, was like I'm of, am I just gonna do I die here? Is this where I die and they have an open grave but it's not like gonna go fall in it? Like, what are we doing? If you get overwhelmed in a marathon by your current circumstances, oh, you'll quit real fast. No one around me but a bunch of dead people, why am I running? My wife is way ahead of me, there's no Gatorade to drink here, what am I doing? You keep your eyes on where you're going. If you and your Christian race Get obsessed with your circumstances, you're going to quit running often. It's not about your circumstances. It's about your Savior. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you get obsessed with your pain and your problems, oh, this is so hard. You're going to quit running. You're going to, you're going to have this wimpy Christianity. You get obsessed with the perfecter of your faith. Jesus Christ and you get your eyes on him and you run after him. Even when he seems distant and even when faith in him seems difficult, you keep running. Remember, run. Remember, run. How do you overcome a wimpy faith? Remember, run. Remember, run. Let's not be a generation, let's not be a church whose faith looks like a roller coaster, whose faith Hits a dead end every six months. Let's remember and run, knowing that Jesus is better. Our worship team is going to come up, and as we respond, we're going to sing a song in a minute, and there'll be some folks down front. Maybe you just want to come, and you're like, hey, I've never trusted Christ, but hearing about how He paid the price for my sins, is I can have a relationship with God because of what He's done. It's not based on me. That sounds awesome. Man, take one of these people by the hand that'll be down here they'd love to pray with you and talk about what it means to trust Christ. Maybe you just wanna come and take somebody by the hand or maybe come and kneel down at the altar and just say to them or talk with the Lord, hey, I've had kind of a wimpy faith. or I'm in a season where I'm struggling. We all get, get there sometimes. We all run to this cemetery sometimes. God, would you help me cling to you? Help me keep my eyes on you. I don't wanna have wimpy faith. Help me to remember who I am, to remember the testimony of scripture, to remember Jesus, to remember the joy to come and to keep running. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to respond as God leads us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope we have in you, for who we are in you, for all these testimonies in scripture, for, for Jesus being our, our faith, our object of our faith and the model of our faith. And God, for, to know that you are better. Or would you teach us to run with our eyes fixed on you? And even now to respond as you would lead us, whether that's just to sing or to pray or to maybe repent of having wimpy faith, God, and to ask you to strengthen it. Would you speak to us now? In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for South Crest Baptist Church.